We have Joy Pullman, editor and writer at The Federalist on this week, and we pretty much give you a great survey of American politics and culture. This is Matthew Garnett. Welcome to In Layman's Terms. So we have a wonderful guest on this week, Joy Pullman of The Federalist, and we pretty much just get into it and start talking. It's a pretty good uh, survey of what's going on with our culture. We talk about uh, the sexual revolution. We talk about uh, race and how we're handling those issues and the gun issue. We pretty much get into a little bit of everything. We're going to do this in a couple of parts over the next uh, couple of weeks, and hopefully this will be helpful to you in the sense of how, you know, how we should think about these things as Christians. I like Al Mohler's, um The Briefing. He really takes the day's news and helps us think about these things from a, a biblical standpoint, and you know, this is kind of the waters I swim in, and this is seems to be kind of the the, the hot topics you know among the, the folks I run with, but this is something that in in the church at large really isn't being talked about a whole lot. We just don't talk about this in broader evangelicalism. It's, you know, we're too busy, seems like trying to uh, get, get ourselves in a situation where we're not distracting people from the message of the gospel or something of that nature uh, with the culture when, you know, these things are actually integral to being a Christian and, you know, um, standing for values um, sometimes lining up to fight is 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 part of the deal. And while that might seem distasteful to a lot of folks, why why we might think that well, you know, we shouldn't get out there and fight the culture war. You know, we're, we're not. We shouldn't get involved in politics. We should take a middle way and these sorts of things. That's just really not the case. And and here's really the bottom line. And sometimes this, you know, for the folks I I run with, we we miss this piece of it. But if we say we love our neighbors then we aren't going to encourage them or be complicit in them doing things that are going to be harmful to them. That's that's really what our major beef is with the sexual revolution. I'm not sure that things get boiled down to that kind of, you know, bare bones, rock bottom layer. But the point is, is what we're saying to the culture is, look, you guys don't want to live this way. This this is not going to be good for you. It's not going to be good for our culture and society. It's going to cause uh, corruption. It's going to cause damage to individuals. It's going to ruin lives. And that's really what we're talking about here and why we stand up for these things so vehemently. You know, at the, at the, at the end of the day, and I think we do a good job with this on, some, on a topic like abortion, and Joy and I talk about that, but we get down to the bare bones of, hey, we are, you're murdering people. <laughs> this is bad. Uh, and, and it's the same thing with the sexual revolution, although I think we could do a little bit better job of saying, hey, this, this is damaging to people. This is harmful to people's psyches, emotions, and even physically. Uh, this is this is damaging. I mean, we see this, you know, with the whole transgenderism and what it's doing with children and that sort of thing. And that's exactly what we're what we're talking about here. And we and we should you really make that fine point and really put a sharp edge on that point to say that we love you. We're your neighbors. We're commanded to love our neighbors, or even commanded to love our enemies as ourselves. And for us to stand by and just say, well, you know, in in the name of Jesus, we love you, and we understand that. This is how you want to live, and we can't force you to live the way we want you to live. That's a cop-out. 
that's a cop out uh, when it comes to loving our neighbor. We can't we can't take that tag anyway. Not going to gild the lily here other than to say thank you to all of you listening in Nebraska on KNNA The Cross. Welcome aboard to the In Layman's Terms podcast and also to encourage you to go to laymanstermsradio.org and donate your $50 toward the Kenya Well Project. We need to keep that thing going. We are also looking for a large donor. If you have a need of uh, uh, disposing yourself of a large donation to our well project. We do have a way. Uh, just please contact me, discussion at laymanstermsradio.org, and we can talk about that. We we're, we're are teaming up with a church on this who does have a tax-exempt status where we can funnel that money through there where you can write this off on your taxes. We have ways to do this completely above board legal and this sort of thing. I just don't, I'm just not in a position where I can get a a tax exempt status right now, nor do I even want to try to to try to pursue that. Um, Kibos Hope Academy is actually pursuing that. And uh, I think that's moving along as we speak. But, but for now, what we've done is we've kind of come under the umbrella of this particular church uh, in order to do that. So if you have the bottom line is if you have a big donation to help these kids not have as a part of their curriculum, carrying heavy five gallon buckets of water, so they can have uh, water for the day, for the school day. Please donate to the Kenya Well Project. And uh, and we need to continue to, to bring in those uh, those monthly donations, the $10 a month um, recurring donations, as well as the one-time $50 gifts. Okay, there that is. Please go and donate. And let's get started here with Joy Pullman of The Federalist. Here we go. I saw um, Jack Dorsey and one of his little lieutenants on uh, Joe Rogan's show, and I mean, like their whole policy with um, you know misgendering and that uh-huh. sort of thing. Uh-huh. You know how all of those policies lean left, and it's in you know it's obvious you it's obvious that you guys have a bias toward this in your terms of service. I actually you know. wonder how their algorithms work because if their user base, I mean, so if it's more automatic, kind of like some of Google's, if their user base tends to be left, then it's kind of learning from the people that are there. And so that would be like an automatic biasing as opposed to an actual, I mean, I'm sure that the editorial content people at Twitter are also very left, but you know, that could be another factor that doesn't require specific human you know, evil, nefarious going in and changing this if it's just kind of like a learning algorithm. What Dorsey made it sound like was that, and his assistant there or whatever, they with some of these cases like Alex Jones and some of this other stuff that's gone on, they've they've actually they actually go in and oh, yeah. look at the you know they don't have algorithms that automatically kick you out. You get reported and then they've got well, a staff. I think there's both of that going on because yeah. it seemed I mean it seemed like there was I forget what it was but there was some algorithm like learn to blank. You know, that was kicking people off, like, as in learn oh, to code. Lord. And that wasn't a human being, you know, waiting until someone typed it and then canceling their account. It was just, you know, some automatic right. flag. Right. Right. So I'm sure both are occurring. Right. I know. I mean, honestly, sometimes when I'm just reading the news, you know, uh, I just think, I don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is preposterous. I can't wait for the debunking of this, which, to, you know, often, very often follows. So... Yeah. Well, so what? Yeah. What about that? I, that's what seems very. I don't. I don't recall the climate ever being the way it, it kind of is, where it seems like everybody's got this. There's an agenda. There's a narrative to drive at all costs. Well, and, I mean, uh, as far as I understand, you know, the media has been biased all the way, at least you know, all the way back, right? When there's the big three on 50s, 60s, and, and on, you know, the ABC, CBS, 
I mean, the bias was going on. It was just not as clear. I mean, anyway. So the, we are maybe, we're certainly more aware of it nowadays, but it's really hard for me to tease out, you know, if how much of that is just growing public understanding of what has always been there versus, I mean, I mean, if you go back to like the yellow journalism of the 1920s, right, you know, or, you know, anyway, there, there have always been new, newspapers reporting garbage in an effort to whip people up. So, I mean, anyway, that goes all the way back to like the 1500s, 1600s when, you know, newspapers used to be kind of like mouth organs of the king or the parliament or whatever, you know, was the governing body. So media bias is maybe, you know, it's a really old thing as far as I can tell. Yeah, maybe I'm just a little more sensitive to it at this point. It just it yeah, just seems like it seems like it's at another level. But um, sometimes you feel a little a little bit like you live not in a. I mean, we don't live in a totalitarian society, but there's an edge, you know, of of you know, you know, where where you can't just. I mean, America is a very trusting society, or we you know we have been historically. I mean, that's been noted by commentators all the way back. Of, of open, honesty, friendly, you know, people that characterize as Americans. But I think we're getting more suspicious and there's definitely more infection of the discourse. I mean, you can even see that with things like, you know, Russian bots. Sometimes when I see a comment or when I see, you know, a certain user just behaving really weirdly on Twitter, I think, you know, how do I really know that Tea Party patriot or like crazy lefty socialist commie 1234, how do I know it's not, you know, some bot somewhere just trying to get me mad? Right. You know, right. And really, it could be on either side. We don't, you know. Right. Well, that's that's what's kind of strange when I'm out and about as I am. Um, you know, I, I bring this stuff up with people, you know, and, you know, it's mostly truck drivers and, you know, stealers and millers and, you know, these sorts of, you know, you know blue collar guys. And you find them on you find them on both sides of the of the political fence. But it's. I, the thing of it is, what I'm wondering is, the media portrays us as this massively divided country, and I think there's some truth to that. But when you're kind of out there and with everybody else, we're, nobody's. I haven't seen anybody at each other's throats. We're not, you know, punching well, each think, other out. I mean, I think the media is something that like the the politicians pay a lot more attention to than normal people do, which is a really problematic break when the politicians are supposed to reflect the people, not you know, uh, frankly, really out of touch media class. Um, so a lot of times that the conversation that's happening there is completely disjointed from reality. And again, with women with a government that's supposed to be representative of the people, that is a big problem. Right, right. So uh, did you see this? Um, I'm not sure who did it. It was some sort of map where you could see like the hot spots where there was a certain political alignment. Oh, I heard And then that how, before. yeah. And so, so they, you know, the Acela Corridor yeah. is like this political alignment, mm-hmm. and it's like this bubble echo chamber. Is it chamber. how uni, you know, unipolar they are? In the, I've heard of, I wasn't there a recent map that came out that showed, you know, basically the neighborhoods in which people lived more around people just like them and all these different aspects. Is that what you're talking about? Right. Versus ones that had a lot more interplay between people of different ideas. Right. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So, so the idea being that. If I'm, you know, if I'm living in Boston, Greenwich, Boston, Greenwich Village, New York, mm-hmm. these sorts of things, I'm not going to hear any opposing ideas yeah. ever. <laughs> and, you, and you're going to think anybody that would, you know, possibly say support Trump. Yeah. Like, oh, that's just, that's yeah. insane. <laughs> Nobody supports Trump that I know. I've never met a person that supports Trump. And so um, 
how much of that do you think is kind of driving this idea that we're a major we're you know we're almost i've heard people on both sides talk about how we're oh, yeah. almost, we're almost at a place where we're going we're going to grab muskets and we're going to go to civil war <laughs> and i'm going um have you ever met my neighbors right i yeah i <laughs> are mean are any I'm, of us going to fight each other even with our fists <laughs> no <laughs> so yeah, i mean as yeah, so that also, just can you of, imagine like Pajama Boy getting out a musket? He doesn't even <laughs> right. like he'd probably be like pointing it backwards, you know? <laughs> right. Or oh no, it's gonna attack me! It's scary and black. Right. Must be an assault rifle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. you know that's never right. happening. Or if it does, anyway, right. easy, easy victory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would, yeah, I would, I would, I would think so. Well, and that's that's the thing that I. Well, I, that, well, these these politicians that talk about instituting some of the the, the gun regulations that they're talking about, um, instit, instituting, it, I'm kind of like, you you all really don't want to do that unless you want some serious trouble on your hands because there are you know several million people in Texas that if you do that, I'm afraid how they might react, and so that's what's scary about the divide that's being portrayed is that um, if somebody acts in a certain way and there's this divide being portrayed, then the reaction might be more, Mm -hmm. might be over. (laughs) Right, because they're not actually responding to reality. They're responding to a constructed reality. So then, you know, yeah, it's kind of like they're wearing goggles that make them see things that aren't there, which is obviously really a problem, especially when they have a lot of power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you're, uh, I'd like to think of you as the education guru, you know, all things education. You even wrote a book. And, um, I mean, it seems like it's fairly well received. People are... The people who read it recommend it, which is kind of them. It's hard for me as an author, right, because you wonder if people think it's garbage they don't want to tell you, if they're your friends. (laughs) If they hate you, they'll be happy to tell you, you know. (laughs) And I did have a little bit of, I mean, um, people who disagree with me politically bashing the book and giving it, you know, bad reviews um, on Amazon, which I think it happens, but it's a little unfair. Um, But, you know, know, that's whatever it happens. I don't really... Yeah, yeah, but... I, so it's hard for me to judge the, the value of the book itself because I'm the person who wrote it. Right, it's right. Like asking me to judge the value of my child. <laughs> Not, well, right. my kids are way more important than books. But well, you know. sure, but still, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, isn't your kid beautiful? Of course he's beautiful, even if he's kind of got a lumpy head. <laughs> I think he's beautiful. <laughs> right, so. right. Well, and, you know, so as far as reading comments, I think um, I've read a total of one comment on anything I've ever published. Like, <laughs> Probably Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I I'm used done. to do that, but at, anyway, after a while, you just think, you know, why am I, again, it's like Twitter. Why am I spending the time? There's crazy people on there, people saying vile things, you know, right. why bother? Well, and I'm astonished. I'm astonished at my, I'll just say this for myself. I'm astonished at myself that... Somebody I've gotten into, you know, a knockdown, drag out fight with on Facebook. If I will pursue the opportunity to talk to that person one on one, maybe even maybe even private chat mm-hmm. or you know a Skype oh, yeah. or a hangout, your my attitude completely changes. Yeah, and I and I that's that's one reason why I've just really backed off of social media in in a mm. lot of ways altogether. Now sometimes I, I mean I'll get into some tiffs every once mm-hmm. and again. For sure, but uh, I've really backed off. And if I do interact, I'm just kid gloves, super careful because I'm I'm, re- I'm trying to discipline myself to say 
what would I do if this person was sitting in front of me? Yeah. That's a difficult that's a difficult thing I think for anybody to do when you're in those situations. And that's what I worry about where, you know, whatever the issue, you know, whether it be education or immigration or, you know, race issue, anything, anything yeah. um, we, we have chosen to kind of do these battles on, on Twitter and on, you know, through books or, or whatever else. And not, not that, the, that the books are bad, but, it, but it's kind of like nobody wants to talk to each other. Nobody wants to get face to face anymore and say, let's hammer this stuff out. I, I, I don't know. I think we've really lost. I mean, maybe not lost or maybe never had it. But I mean, I feel myself that I am trying to learn how to have conversations um, and, and also learn how to actually express what I because I mean we all I've had lots of conversations where I don't say what I really think because I I have what I very different views from the person I'm talking to um, or, or a lot I mean uh, I'm a very um, I don't know I have very strong moral <laughs> opinions and you know basically everything that everybody does you know uh, contradicts what I think they should be doing right. <laughs> you know so and and and. Then you think about, okay, so I love this person. How could I possibly convey my really strong feelings all the way over here when they're over here? Mm. And, you know, persuade, like, it's really hard to do that. So I've been, tr- I've been trying to learn how to do that. And, you know, when, when actually talking to people, it is really, really hard. You know, but I, but I also think the advantage of being in person is... Obviously, you can express care in, in nonverbal ways. And, I mean, you can pause and listen to them. You can touch them. You know, all, there, there's things that you can do in person that you can't do online that really help cushion the blow. You mm-hmm. know, or, or but you, you can also want, you can listen to them to kind of, there's so much about inflection and tone and things, you know, to really hear what, you know, the feelings behind the words. Um, I think is compassion, even if you ultimately still disagree with them. So, I mean, all of that, I mean, I... I think in-person conversation is, I was about to say at the beginning, it's a lost art, but maybe it's an art that we just don't know how to do. And the less that we do of it, you know, the worse that, you know, that we'll never improve if we don't practice. So, I mean, in, in personal life, I've been trying to practice and it's, in, I mean, I, I'm pretty rusty, you know, I'm not as good at it as it, you know, as, as mm-hmm. I'd like to be, but it, you know, it feels good to try. And sometimes I try things and I say something you know, where a family, you know, I offended someone I love, you know, or I, or I don't say something and I wish I had, you know, so I, I don't know. None of us is going to get it perfect, but I think, you know, again, you can't really improve if you're not trying. Right, right. Well, and, and that's, that's the thing that I found interesting is, you know, I've made a lot of contacts through, through social media because I've decided, okay, I'm going to get in, you know, into an argument with this atheist about whether God exists, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we have a, you know, and he's possibly, you know, he's calling me, you know, you, you believe in unicorns and fanny slim. Yeah, I don't buy you, blah, blah, blah. So all these ad hominem attacks, it's fine. Um, and I'm like, hey, why don't we, hey, let's get on Skype. Oh. And, uh, you know, I'm not, it's not a threatening thing. I'm not, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, trying to threaten like, you because actually, but let's, let's, talk just, about let's actually talk yeah. about it, not treat each other like, you know, we're just mm-hmm. some sort of digital avatars. And, um, what I found interesting, and this is this even goes with you know some of some of my, I guess close contacts with, you know the the, the racial issue and that sort of thing is hey let's you know let's get together and talk and they're like you know, I just I'm done talking, mm. um, and that's I'm I'm starting to meet that again and again and again I just you know I'm done talking with you people you can't we can't go forward with you 
what we have to do is, it, I mean, and I see this on both sides. It's almost like we, we're in this situation. And I think a lot of this is driven by, you know, this is solo corridor media that says, oh, we're this big divided country um, where, where, we, where we say, you know, I just can't talk to you because we just have nothing to say to each other anymore. And well, that's- I, mean, I think we do have some deep divisions. I mean, it's not that we're not divided, but I think the animus in the division isn't there at the same way that it is portrayed in the media. Mm. I mean, Americans obviously have some very deep rifts. I mean, if you just take, for example, one thing like the abortion issue, very mm. clear and deep and long-term, you know, disagreements with people on a very hot button, you know, uh, issue. Um, and it's not that Americans, you know, are don't have opinions about that. You know, it's not that um, if we just, you know, talk to each other more, we're going to solve it necessarily. Um, you know, so, I mean, so, it, I mean, so there, I mean, and there's, I mean, I think there's a clarification that's happening in our culture, you know, where, where we, we have gotten to, you know, closer end points of the opposing kind of ideologies that are in America. And, you know, and so those are just kind of easier to see, you know, because they've grown more, you know, more true to themselves. You know, so people on both sides, you know, where they start with, you know, the, the baseline propositions and maybe a hundred years ago that got them here, you know, so, oh, you can talk to each other across this divide. Mm-hmm. Well, we followed, you know, those ideas to their logical consequences, you know, now over generations now, we're over here. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe you can shout across that divide, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I mean, so I don't think that it's not the case that it's not there. Although, you know, there's a lot of Americans in the middle still, too, and there probably always will be. There were an American Revolution. And, you know, I don't say, use that to be, oh, you know, it's a revolution. I, don't, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, of something that serious in American life, a third of people were in the middle, right? So we have, I think, less serious challenges going on. And, we, you know, there's a lot of people in the middle. So that's always going to be the case. Anyway, so, uh, so my point in saying that was not to say that, no, we don't have divisions. But, I, again, I, I think there still is room for talking among normal people, like people in your neighborhood and your family, the, uh, among like the leader types, the people who are constantly engaging ideas, I think there's less of that because they've done a lot of that, the work that the normal person hasn't to say, what do I really believe? And then follow their ideas to its conclusion, you know, and, and then interact with the other side kind of on a more purist level than more, most normal people I think have done. Right, right. Well, and I, I think that's, that's kind of the discernment we need to make is I think there are some issues where we say, okay, um, this isn't an, this isn't a topic for discussion between you and I. This is a topic I'm going to defeat you on. Abortion being one of them, mm-hmm. I, I think, um, to say that we have to beat you into submission on this somehow. Right. Um, and that's part of the problem is that we have to live together, and if we have to live together, the wild swings in power between, say, I mean, I don't actually think the two major political parties are that far apart, you know. Mm-hmm. But say, you know, if you have a situation where. Oh, you know, Democrats come into power and it's like literally infanticide and then Republicans come into power and they would never do this. But say, you know, if they were the caricature that they're made out to be, then they say, you know, no abortions, you know, ever after, you know, 12 weeks or, or whatever. Um, actually, more more Americans would be more um, on war with the latter view, but that that's a digression. But the point being, you know, if you if that if that situation switched every four years when a new presidential administration came to power, we could not live in a country like that. Yeah. You know, so uh, that is, I think, what really makes people unsettled because when the other side has power and they do things that you think are deeply immoral and dangerous, 
you know, mm -hmm. then it is kind of an existential crisis when they have the power to impose an ideology that you find repellent on you. Right. Well, and that's and that's and I, I think about this all the time. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I believe that abortion that I be, I believe life begins at conception and that abortion is murder. Mm -hmm. And so, and then I think about how many children have been murdered mm -hmm. in this country since Roe v. Wade and before there were, you know, there and, well, before, before, of course, then. of course. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, right, then, that was the floodgates. Yeah. Right. And then, and then compare that to the Holocaust. Yeah. We got them beat hands down. Yeah. And so you're sitting here thinking, oh, okay. Right. There, there, there's a problem. We're here. sitting here virtue signaling about how we would have been the people to stand. We are not the people to stand up against the Nazis because we're not doing that right now. Yeah. <laughs> Right? Yeah, 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 absolutely right. Um, <laughs> and it also makes historical things like slavery way more complex if you compare the two because you think, okay, you know, to people like us who believe life begins at conception, if you think genocide is happening right now, why are you not fighting, literally fighting over it? Well, there's lots of good reasons for that, mm -hmm. you know, but then if you say, okay, it makes it more complex to then look at things like the Holocaust, at slavery, and say, why didn't you just stop slavery? Well, you know, there's millions of people in a racist society who have been ripped from their homelands, you know, and who have been kept from being educated. What are, you know, I mean, mm. it's a big problem. You can't just be like, oh, just fix the problem. Just, you know, right. go, go to war over abortion. Right. You know, right. there's other stuff going on. Right. So anyway, I, I mean, that evil is... <laughs> Really, really harder to beat than you know a lot of us armchair philosophers like to think it is. Yeah, well, and, and that's the thing. Um, I don't know if you've read Tom Sowell's. Uh, I think it's called uh, Black Rednecks. Yes, I actually just read, read that a couple of months ago. What what is the title of that? Black, it's White Liberals and Black Rednecks. I something think. like that. Yeah. yeah. I just finished that. Uh, it was really good. Really fascinating. Yeah. The part that really caught my attention was when he talked about how, so so that the Haitian overthrow of slavery was mm -hmm. this. Yes. Fight. I mean, it just yes. and and to this it day, it was a mass murderous revolt. And again, yeah. they had some legit. They had legitimate grievances. Right. right. Mass murder. Well, you could see how slave owners would be scared of that and mm. react in really evil ways. You know. Yeah. That's how humans are. We're evil and we don't respond well to threats, you know. Yeah. You, anyway, you could say, oh, you should have been restrained and judicious, but, you know, they, that's way too high of expectation of people, I think. Right, right. Well, and, you know, I don't think Seoul goes this far, but, but, the, but the Civil War itself, I mean, look, look how uh, England handled slavery. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, they... Phased it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I mean, the American founders were hoping that. I mean, and it was actually on the way to doing that in America. Things were going in, the, in a good direction there, and then we had technological advances as well as a number of economic measures. You know that the the North and the South were fighting over in Congress, and that were really pushing the South economically into becoming a retrenched slave state instead of it fading out as it had been. Right, right. Well, and I, so I. I'm, I'm, okay, so I'm not. I'm not sure. I agree with you, <laughs> uh, because well, what I, what I would have, and this is the way I took Soul, and he didn't go too deep in that into that. But I think the North was so outperforming the South economically and technologically that that the South could could would have no longer been able to afford to hang on to slavery. Is that? I mean, are you? I don't know enough about it to be able to say that. Okay, you know, 
Right. I mean, well, it's, 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 the causes of the Civil War have, you know, filled like encyclopedia length yeah, of books that right. I have not read. So yeah, right, I right. only know some basic stuff here, you know. Yeah, well, and that's, I mean, that's the one thing that that just makes me, you know, the, the red flags go up when I hear those who say, you know, this country ha- is founded on slavery, has benefited mm-hmm, from mm-hmm, slavery. Mm-hmm. And when you actually look into it, um, no. Slavery actually held the country back. Oh, ab- yeah, absolutely. I mean, not, right. not 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 just not just in the sense that that it was you know it was obviously a moral evil, mm-hmm. and that had we figured out a way to make uh, these slaves full citizens and have them contribute to to our economy and, and right. these sorts of things, it would have been a much better place. Uh, but just by virtue of the fact that. Uh, when you don't have slaves, you have to figure out. You still have to figure out a way to get the cotton picked or the corn yeah. harvested and yeah. that sort of thing. And that's where technology and innovation and all these sorts of things come about. And had slavery not gone by the wayside, the you know the industrial revolution never would have happened. You know the the progress that the West has seen. Yeah, you know, slavery held. Well, actually, that back. Well, I think it was the partly the industrial. I mean, if I understand it correctly, which mm-hmm. I may not, the industrial revolution helped make slavery obsolete. Right, right. You know, because I mean, the world is. We live in fabulous wealth. I was just talking to my my uh, my kids at dinner about this because my husband's reading this book about um, people living during the Irish potato famine, mm. um, and he was ta- telling the kids about. I mean, this is less than a hundred years ago. This is during World War II. Um, in their home, you know, they had a community, not in their home, but next to their home, they had a community toilet. You know, so all their neighbors all went to the same, you know, basically outhouse, and it was right next to these, this family's house. And in the winter, when it rains all the time in Ireland, well, the the feces in the animal stable was cleaned out right through their kitchen. Mm. So they just lived upstairs during the winter. Mm. But the point being, you know, 75 years ago, people lived with, like, poop running underneath their kitchen. Mm-hmm. And, and this was, like, this is how people lived. And that yeah. was how it was for centuries. So, you know, we it's easy for us to sit here and say, well, just fix it. Well, there's money. We have money coming out of our ears. You know, that was not what, that's not what human history has been like. Human right. history has been miserable mm-hmm. poverty stricken right. you know yeah just hor- anyway a history of people hurting people hurting people all the time right. and really the i think how that applies to america is like america is one of the places where that that constant historical truth has been not true mm. you know in america it's, it's i mean it's slavery is the norm in human history the amazing thing is that a country would fight itself to end slavery that what the very concept of doing that would have made no sense to the Greeks, the ancient mm. Greeks. Mm. You know, the very concept of doing that would have made sense to nobody before essentially the Enlightenment, right? Mm. Um, it was just, well, sucks to be you. You know, you're one of the people who, you know, were born to be a slave. Right. That's how they thought. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so anyway, so if, if you start from the de- the default of suckage, <laughs> yeah. right. then, you know, uh, you know, then you can see kind of, you know, what rises above that, you know, but we're lucky that we, we live in the fruit of that. So we are default isn't suckage so we really can't see with a proper proper historical lens right right well exactly and yeah i don't know i'm leaning toward the notion that we're there's just we're so bored we've got it so good that we just can't find anything to fight about so we make stuff up yeah oh Um, my gosh have you ever read any of Theodore Dalrymple? He's the he. That's a pen name of a or now retired British doctor who worked, I think, in a public hospital, particularly for the underclass. Okay. And so I think he's a he's a psych, psychiatrist, psychologist, you know, mental health um, doctor, 
but he's also a medical doctor, so probably mm-hmm. psychiatrist. Anyway, um, but he has written, he um, writes for a city journal pretty regularly, and he's been writing in, for a long time. Anyway, but one of the, so he has a huge study of underclass mentality, <laughs> and, and, and one of the characteristics of the underclass mentality, uh, mentality is that thing that you just said. Um, where, you know, where you, uh, I'm going to have to, I, 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 I'm losing the thread of it, but, but it's the, it's the idea that, um, uh, like these things just randomly happen, you know, happen to you that you're a victim of your circumstances kind of thing. Um, and, and that is anyway, so it's, it's funny to me that in our culture, we're kind of, we're sinking into the underclass mentality because we're so rich. It's mm. weird, it is you know. Weird. Oh, that's what it was. I, I'm sorry. People cre- in that in that in that ecosystem, that that underclass culture, and this is as Tom as Thomas Sowell writes about. This is a pan racist culture. This is just what underclass people do, regardless of what they look like. Mm. Um, it's, it's create drama rather mm. than actually, you know, having the moral fortitude to look at the actual things that they do that are bad and mm. change them and do the moral work. You know, that's very difficult. Instead, what they do is manufacture problems, petty, stupid social problems, and they focus on those petty, stupid social problems, you know, rather than anything that's actually productive. Right, right. Um, so we're all in the underclass now. <laughs> yeah. Well, right, exactly. And it's, it's almost like um, you, you can't un- disprove what they're saying. Be- well, because a lot of this is coming from this whole notion of the postmodern ethos which says that the your feelings your emotions are above everything so my mm. lived experience mm. is really what is reality so it doesn't matter that you know the overwhelming evidence shows that oh, uh, that, yeah. that that white cops don't shoot black unarmed black men just out of pure racism that that just there's <laughs> yeah. just no evidence to support that doesn't matter that it's a trend does like, yeah right exactly doesn't doesn't matter um you know, uh, and, and God cares bless about it. your facts. It contradicts right. my narrative. I that's feel right. that this happens exactly. before it does. Right. Okay. Well, and that's the thing. And I think that's a result of, uh, you know, just the, the access we have to, uh, you know, immediate, um, information, you know, where somebody films something on a cell phone and it goes on YouTube, like the shooting in New Zealand, mm-hmm. people Facebook living a, a massacre. Which I don't understand. Holy cow! Run and get your gun and shoot the bad guy, or call the. You know what I mean? Hold out your phone. Are you crazy? Anyway. Well, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, okay, yeah. I think some people were. I think the shooters were doing it. Though. Oh, the shoot, that's what oh, I heard. Okay, okay. I thought you meant bystanders. Yeah, no, no, I'm no, like, no. Oh, the shooters. You know, no, the, are you kidding me? No, the you shooters. Know, get a stick. Right. Hit them with a chair. You know? Right, right. Something. Do something. <laughs> Um, no, the, I think the shooters planned this so they could face, oh, put it sick. on Facebook Live. It's sick. just disgusting. Uh, but the thing of it is, I'm, so, I mean, that's as horrific as that is. I mean, 49 people killed. I mean, that's an incredible oh. uh, massacre. It, it, it just, it just um, staggers the mind. Hmm. But, um, but statistically, that sort of thing is anomalous, right? And so for first to say, okay... Since that happened, we've got to we've got to find every weapon on this small island, New Zealand, gather it up and take it out in the middle of the Pacific and drop it in the middle. You know, that kind of you know reactive that we see that in in our country. You know, where we we have school shootings and but we see these children on television crying. We have um, unarmed black men shot by racist cops. That happens, mm-hmm. and it's but it's on YouTube, so we see it. Right, but we don't see the 300 times a cop, you know, was scared 
But yeah. he assessed the situation carefully, yeah. you know, and he decided that he wasn't going to pull his gun, you know, right. or whatever it was. Right. Because that's not filmable or it just didn't happen to hit the news cycle or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So our perception is completely warped by yeah the episodic or the random happenstance of or I I mean often the politically chosen amalgamation of what seem to be statistics you know but you know or, but are really just anecdotes. Right. Right. Well, and so yeah, and so the <laughs> so based on that, so you you see this horrible thing happen, and you go, okay, we've got we've got to change every you know that that's the emotional reaction you know my. Uh, I mean, that's not my emotional reaction at all. My well, emotional reaction is like to cry, right? People died. Yeah, yeah. They have families, yeah. you know? <laughs> well, and then, but, but then, okay, so that's your emotional reaction. But then, but then you have the re- emotional reaction of those who say this whole thing's got to come down because of this thing. Because of this very thing right here. You know, Mike Brown or Trayvon Martin or who you know, name your pick your, your pick it. I mean, I know that people do that, but it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. You know, because I mean maybe that's just because I believe really firmly in individual responsibility. You know, the people involved with Mike Brown are the people responsible for Mike Brown. I'm not responsible. I didn't have anything to do with that. I don't live in his state even, I don't pay taxes, you know, that's not my police system. There's no way I could possibly affect that. Um, uh, anyway, so I just does, it's kind of incoherent to me to, to jump to that kind of conclusion. I mean, I know that people do it, but it doesn't make sense. Right. Well, and, and again, it, it comes down to this, this unprovable fact um, that since... So, for instance, virtually every time I get into this discussion with my friends who think that big, sweeping, systemic changes are necessary... Um, I go, okay, there's systemic racism. What do we need to change? Mm-hmm. What law? Name it. Name a law. Um, well, the response is, oh, well, you just don't understand. And that just shows your ignorance. You know, you, you just don't get what's going on. And I'm going, Whoa. I just told you to give me, yeah, like an agenda. And they right. don't. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's, so, so I can't disprove that. Okay. So there's this, it's kind of like, Somebody who would say, yes, God exists because I say he exists. No, no, let me demonstrate the historicity of the resurrection. Let me demonstrate, you know, the philosophical So they're just God. taking it on faith. It's, it is. It's, they really, but, but more, I mean, that kind of faith is feelings, you know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, and it's, you know, it, it, it's, yeah, it's not faith, a faith. Faith is, faith, faith, actual faith is built on reason, you know. It's combined yes. with reason. The two work together, yeah. you know. So if you don't have faith plus reason, then you basically have emotion. <laughs> Yeah, and you have a yeah. It, 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 what we might call in our contemporary, you know, what a new atheist might call faith, where you have where you believe in something with no evidence. Yeah, blind faith. Yeah, you know, a, bl- as opposed to appropriate, reasonable, justifiable faith. Right, right. Yeah, Kant's leap in the dark type yeah, of thing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and that, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm careful to put it that way. I don't want to make that make folks who are who struggle with this. You know, I don't want to be pejorative toward them because again i mean i i feel the same emotion when i see you know these videos of black men being shot when they're when unarmed or i read the stories about it and, and these sorts of things or hear about children shooting each other in chicago you know that you know or look at the statistics and look at, you know how, how come all these black men are in prison in greater proportion to white men that you know that that evokes an emotional an emotional response as well um, but I, I just the disconnect comes for me when 
you know, there's this systemic racism God out there that, that I can't, I'm like, okay, okay, there's systemic racism. What do we change? Let's, let's, let's change it. Let's fix it because, but there's no, it's just, uh, you don't get it. You don't understand what's going on. And, I, and I'm kind of like, okay, something else is afoot here. I do think here. there is an element of truth to that in that I believe that the world is inherently corrupt because I'm a Christian, right? Sin is real. Hence, racism is a sin. And that's, you know, so it's part of the corruption of the world. And we're never going to get rid of it. We should, that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. That we doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean we shouldn't repent. You know, when we do the wrong thing, it doesn't, you know, so, but I mean... We're never going to eradicate evil because, as Solzhenitsyn says, it's bound up, you know, the dividing line between good and evil runs through every human heart. It's mm. in us, you yeah. know. So the only way of getting rid of evil is, you know, to kill ourselves. But that's also wrong. That only perpetuates evil. Okay, you know. So ultimately, the only thing that's going to solve racism, you know, is redemption, eternal redemption, you mm. know. You know, the, the, the future that we all have in, in a, where all people of all tribes and tongues you know, come together, you know, un- under the God who made us all and loves us all so much that he sent his son for us. So I think part of the, I mean, so if you say, you know, the, the world is systematically broken and corrupt, yeah, I'm with you. But then when you jump onto the, therefore we can fix it ourselves, I'm off the boat. <laughs> yeah. We can't. Right. So again, you know, we should try to have as just a society as we can, but we have to be humble about what we really are able to achieve given how broken we are. Right, right. Well, and that's that's where I'm just um, where where I say, okay, let's let's talk about solutions. We can do this with this set of individuals. We can whatever you know, offer mm-hmm. more job training or whatever you want to talk about. Um, and then the retort comes. No, it's 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 broader than that. It's the systemic thing that you know this country was founded on a racist system. So what? Eliminate this country? That's you know. my question. Okay, I mean, do you really think that the world would be better, be better without the United States? Where is it better? Yeah. Is there anywhere else that is more race or less racist than the United States? No. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's probably pockets in certain cities here and there, or no, or whatever, certain communities, but like, there's nowhere better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so if you want, I mean, anyway, uh, 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 there's just no perfection available. So you might as well pick the best we got and try to make you know every little place incrementally better. I think that's the best we can really hope for. Yeah, right. And it's you know, and, and that's where I, I think that it, it is. It's the hard work of of convincing individual hearts and minds. But but I I don't know. See, that's where I'm 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 kind of adrift in all this because you know. This, the sea I swim in is out there and we're all, you know, we're friendly. We're buddy, buddy. We're, I don't see these big divides, you know, in our nation, but then I, you know, I flip on the social media, I flip on the YouTube, I flip on Ben Shapiro, I flip on, you know, well, you um, know, controversy also gets eyeballs. Right. So they have to talk about the hot button stuff and they have yeah. to like manufacture or, or blow stuff up. You know, that's just part of the the media business, and I'm part of that. You know, we, we do that, you know. You, you know what people are going to click on because it's, like, something crazy. Yeah. If it's crazy, people are going to click on it, right? Yeah. But, like, the crazy thing, you know, may be affecting, you know, point zero 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 one percent you know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes they are systemic or they're much larger, you know, problems. But often the kind of clickbait conversation, you know, again... Yeah. That's what gets the most attention, even though it's not the most reflective of reality. Yeah. Well, but the but the problem with it is, is it seems like these these conversations come to such a fever pitch that 
then, then you get politicians putting legislation in place where it's literally legal to l- let a baby die on a table. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so now, now this this whole thing that's maybe okay, it's up here mm-hmm. in the you know the clickbait media area. Mm-hmm. This is crossed over into real that's life. That's a good point. Yeah. And so, yeah, and you know, so I you know I see that I definitely see that in the abortion thing. I definitely, I mean, it's it is tragic what is going on right now with the sexual revolution. I mean, it just blows my. I mind. I was going to say that about like I just read some things that uh, screenshots from parents of transgender children talking about how, for example, their daughters, this is a daughter who's appearing as a son, has been binding her chest to hide her breasts. And because of that, her lungs were uh, compressed and she could not breathe. They went to the doctor and the doctor said, "Take not, this is crazy, your breasts are a normal part of your body, you're a female, take that off, you're hurting yourself. The doctor said, well, make sure that, you know, when you take it off a couple of times and get breath throughout the day and then continue wearing normally. Or, and then gave them like a thing to inflate the lungs artificially. You're like, your lungs would inflate normally if you just weren't like squeezing your natural body parts in unnatural ways. Anyway, um, you know, so that kind of thing, yeah, that's like the, you know, the infanticide stuff. Crazy. You know, we're, we're mutilating children, you know? Yeah. Right. And. Well, and that's a, yeah, that's. I mean, it blows my mind. This to is hear. not only legal, but like that's the thing that you know that the uh, preeminent medical societies are recommending. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, you, right. It's um. It's it's a situation where you hear you know some liberals who who are at least honest and try to come in good faith. And so I talk about Sam Harris a lot on my podcast because Sam Harris. I would um, if you can hook me up with Sam Harris, let me know. Because I'd love to debate Sam Harris sometime because I think I could get him. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, but he talks, but, but, and rightly so, he, he very much, spe- and he's gotten a lot of flack for this, for speaking out against Islam. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And That's what- common among the kind of like atheist types because they're so rational and they don't understand the faith aspect of Islam. You know, <clears throat> faith to them doesn't make any sense. And, you know, yeah. So, I mean, so the sorts of things that people do in the name of faith are just automatically all placed in crazy basket for them. So I think it's easier for them, more intellectually consistent for them to do that sort of thing. Right, right. Right. But, right. So, and so he'll talk about, you know, he he tells a story about this intellectually got in into it with about, you know, female genital mutilation. Mm -hmm. And so he'll, Mm -hmm. he will argue for that. And then in the same breath say, you know, we should support transgender rights and you know and i don't know how far sam harris personally is willing to take this well if he's against you know mutilating little children if you're muslim i assume he's against mutilating little children you know i don't know for the sexual revolution i don't know i mean it would seem likely that he would support adults doing that but i don't know right i would i would think so well that would be consistent anyway but people are not always consistent no sam harris (laughs) is wildly inconsistent in my opinion that's why i I think it would be fun to speak with him but anyway um the uh, that uh, that's the thing that probably I regret more than anything about you know my little soiree with 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 liberalism and mainline denominations is I encouraged I had several gay and lesbian friends I didn't have any transgender friends there that really wasn't in vogue mm-hmm. back in the mid two aught aughts um, but I had a lot of gay and lesbian friends who were miserable doesn't even begin to describe mm-hmm. the lesbian friends I had. Now this is anecdotal, obviously, mm-hmm. um, but there has been some research done on this as well. So you can go find this too. 
but emotionally the girls were very it was bad day at slippery rock for them most of the time it oh. was not they were just not having a good go of it emotionally the men had some emotional problems but most of the time they had physical problems for obvious reasons hmm. um, because when you engage in that kind of activity um, then you get sick um, you have yeah and so that I and I just chose to turn a blind, blind, blind eye to that to say that well these people love each other and they have a right to love each other the way they love each other and it never occurred to me to say, hey, you know what? I love you, and this is not good for you. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, that's that's the thing I think. Well, I, I don't I don't want to say sometimes. I think a lot of times we Christians miss is when we say, hey, the Bible says that that is an abomination to God, right? Mm-hmm. We can pound on the pulpit and say, yeah, yeah. homosexuality is an abomination to God. But what we hardly ever say, or this is my observation, what we hardly ever say is the reason God says that's, that's an abomination to him is because you're hurting yourself doing that. And God loves you, and he's going to tell you the things that are going to be good for you, not the things that are going to be harmful to you. And so the reason, you know, and this this is one thing that drives me nuts about Ben Shapiro, you know, and his friend, if, and I appreciate that he has a friendship with Dave Rubin, who's gay, and that sort of thing. But Shapiro puts, you know, he says, yes, homosexuality is a sin, and I wouldn't attend a gay wedding, and I wouldn't bake a gay wedding cake for Dave, and all this other stuff. Kind of pontificates I on this. Bake a cake yeah, for Dave. <laughs> and so, yeah, so he kind of he kind of goes on this, you know, this this idea, but but he kind of puts homosexuality in this this realm of religious taboo, and it's not religious mm. taboo. Um, it, there is a reason why God forbids certain activities in scripture i mean well god has reasons for forbidding everything that he forbids right yeah <laughs> you know murder is bad yeah. adultery bad you know yeah it's not just happening between two people in the privacy of their bedroom there either you know right right, right. everything god god loves us and that's why he tells us to do things that you know that are good for us and not do the things that are bad for us yeah right precisely and so and that that's the argument that i and again not that we're going to have any luck convincing anybody because it just you know a lot of this stuff seems so far gone now but that's that's the thing that seems to be those are the two things that seem to be bleeding over into the culture is and i and i don't know how widespread this is but you you, again you hear it's really hard for me to gauge on that topic because i feel like a lot of the things that are are said about religious people in relation to lgbt issues are caricatures yeah. You know, it's kind of like, have you ever talked to, like, an actual normal Christian, not the Westboro Baptist Church, which I don't even know if they're Christians? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, all religious people are cast, you know, as these evil, tyrannical people who are preaching fire, you know, and... and and then, like that, I mean, I've been in all kinds of churches, and that has not been my experience at all. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, so but I so I wonder how much of that is a constructed barrier against because. You know, if if you ha- can admit then that Christians are not crazy bigots, then you actually have to consider their ideas. Mm. And if you don't want to consider their ideas because you like, you know, the things that you're doing that contradict them, you know, so so it's it's easier to just say, well, they're a bunch of bigots because that prevents you from having like it, you know, basically an existential crisis. <laughs> mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and I'll this is just this is just me. This is just my lived experience. <laughs> but I'll tell you why I walked away from faith when I did. is mm-hmm. because I didn't want a God telling me what to do. Yeah. 
That's it. That was the bottom line. I all this like other that myself many times, <laughs> right? How, how many of us actually, you know? I mean, I I'll, I'll, typically, uh, often in retrospect, I say, "Thank you, God, for teaching me not to have premarital sex," because I know lots of people who do that, and it sucks. Yeah. Did I like? Did I feel that way when I wanted to have premarital sex? No, I did not. Mm-hmm. I, you know, said, "God, you hate me. You know, you're so mean. You know, I'm being deprived of so much fun right now, right? Right. right. You know, right. and there's, there's that's just one example. There's so, you know, many things like that where you, you know, uh, I mean, I don't know that it's quite a religious injunction not to do drugs, but you like, you know, people who do drugs, or I mean, it is really. A religious don't get, don't get drunk, right? So okay, that's why I, I haven't. Then you learn, you know, meet people who are addicts, and you're like, whoa, so glad I was saved that little trip on like this suck train. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because yeah. you know, you know, because God, I just said okay. Well, I don't really know why, but whatever. Yeah, you know. Anyway, so you're right, you know. Yeah. But you have if you don't have that faith first as the basis, it's really hard to just you know, use it to protect yourself from crazy things. Right, right, right. Well, and, and that's the thing I think, that's the thing I sense from Sam Harris the most, honestly. Hmm. And the, the thing I would challenge him on is just, Sam, I think you're afraid to have a God tell you what to do. Well, yeah, I mean, that's like the original <laughs> sin, right? Yeah, that's right. Did <laughs> God, God really say? say? Exactly. <laughs> All together now. Um, <laughs> right, and, and, and that's the thing that I talk to my children about, is, you know, when we start talking about, especially Amelia, Start talking about boyfriends and da 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 da. It's like, you know, I, I can't, so, you know, I try to get that. I, I, I wear my emotions on my face, which is helpful as a parent sometimes. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. Um, I can control my kids with a very evil look. Yeah. And then you don't have to launch across the table at them. <laughs> right, right, exactly. I don't have to beat you. See, you you're now. both that humiliation. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and when you look like me, I got this tough trick. Yeah. Um, but, you know, having so when I was a teenager, that was the cool thing to do was for us to behave that way because mm-hmm. we weren't none of us were Christians. We did, yeah. And that was, that, I mean, growing up in the '80s, you know, coming out of the '70s, especially that was that would that that thing was hitting Middle America in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, and and so that was have that you have nothing. No one's telling you anything. You're just like lost in the sea of chaos. Right. It's horrible. Right. Right. And you know, and that's what I try to tell the kids. I'm like. Amelia, you know, I just I cannot tell you the those things that I did when I was that age are the the I still have nightmares about those things. Yeah. I still regret those yeah. things. Those things have damaged me. They've damaged the person I did them with. Yeah. And you know, those are things that our culture and society consider completely innocent. All oh, the kids are just being mm-hmm. kids, and that this boys will be it's boys. A lie, run away, run away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Seriously, run. <laughs> well, and that's the thing that the that drives me crazy with with the boys is we talk about boys like oh uh, the boy the boys can go out and do you know have all the sex. oh that drives me nuts I hate that it's so unfair yeah it makes me so mad They're, right and the it, double it, standard is definitely there and it's it's just there's no data that supports this it's completely false and I mean again you know my lived experience but but I but the research backs this up is that is that men get emotionally attached as well oh you know? yeah. I mean, they're humans, right? As yeah. far as I can tell. <laughs> yeah. So it's it, yeah, it's insane. So that I mean, so education. <laughs> then we start talking about that. At Never one. send your kids to sex ed. That's I think the conclusion of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't don't do that. So that yeah, the idea is don't you know, don't engage abstinence. That's it. Takes care of everything. That's a foolproof way <laughs> to make sure. Um, I've had people actually ask me, you know, well, how will you know what to do? And I'm like, oh, you don't need any instruction. 
It's yeah. not that complicated. It, it really isn't. No, not at, not at all. Not at all. Um, so I here's the here's the so the abortion thing, the sexual revolution, education. I think is another place that I'm worried about where this whole all, all this nonsense is crossing over. And uh, before we got on air, I've mentioned Peter Collier. You got to check that guy out because he, he's a 1960s yeah, hippie. Yeah, send me the link. I, would I will. Like to, yeah. yeah, you got to listen. He, but the tidbit he mentions, he, he just talks about how he was part of the 1960s hippie culture where they were, you know, they were trying to bring about the revolution, mm. and he ended up getting involved. Uh, uh, he and his buddy Dave Horowitz. I don't know if you. Oh yeah. yeah okay. No, okay. Horowitz, so yeah. yeah, he's yeah. They're buddies. The two of them were working with the Black Panthers in San yeah. Francisco, <laughs> and. Um, uh, Dave Horowitz hired a friend of his to do uh, the books for a s- school thing the Black Panthers were trying to do. Uh-huh. And when she, in the midst of her doing the books, she found out the Panthers were involved in drugs and other yeah. sort things. Uh, and they killed her. What? Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah, they 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 killed her because she found out about that, and that's when Dave and ooh, I cut that talk to. I you never become a bookie for a bunch of commies, right? <laughs> so yeah, so so Peter Collier and Dave Hort, they, I mean, obviously, this is when they're like, okay, this is, this is right, crazy. We are we're out. We're out of here. Um, and 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 then on top of that, after we pulled out of Vietnam, just just the horrors that went on, hmm. you know, um, in Vietnam and Cambodia, the killing fields, all this. I mean, you know, when when we pulled out of Vietnam, um, then you know how how uh, the communist government that ran all the all the mm-hmm. the board, the bourgeois out of the cities and uh, mm-hmm. had them kill. You know, it was just, it was just the uh, disillusioning. It, yeah, they yeah. obviously democratic obviously, socialism is right. so democratic after right. all. And, right. Yeah. All right, so there you have it. That's part one, and we kind of started off with the small talk. We're doing these, you know, long form interviews, so we kind of ease into it. And but you, as you can tell, Joy and I. Uh, have some some strong opinions on this, and and we really get down to really the, the you know the first things principles in this thing. Anyway, thanks for listening on KNNA the Cross. Don't forget to go to radio radio dot org and donate your fifty dollars to the Kenya Well Project or your donation. Contact me at discussion at Layman's Terms Radio for larger donations, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.